Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I'm going to share the audio from a panel that I was on um, in Breckenridge this last summer for the group I talk about a lot, Go Abundance. Um, there was three of us, uh, another guy in the group, Camille Maris, and then Alexander Memka. And uh, the three of us were on a panel being interviewed by uh, Dirk Van Rienen, just talking about um, the, the title of the panel was called Scaling Your Business During the Pandemic. And it was just a fun time. We had a, we had a great conversation and yeah, um, then it went into uh, Q&A time, which I, I think was valuable. So, you know, whether you own a business or whether you're aspiring to own a business or, you know, even just, I mean, we all, we all work somewhere. So I think, I think this will provide value to you just having the perspective of, let, let's say that you're a W-2 employee, just having the perspective from the employer's view, I, I think it would be valuable. But if you're a business owner or, or, or an aspiring business owner, um, I, I think you'll especially find value in this. You know, there's some really smart guys that were um, on the panel. Camille owns a pretty large roofing company that he's scaling in um, the the east side of the U.S. And and then Alexander um, owns a really large business, um, an international business, actually. And, and talking to this guy is just mesmerizing. I mean, the things that he's accomplished in life are just amazing. So I think you'll get a lot of value out of this. And, um, you know, if you have any questions or any follow-ups, just uh, shoot me an email at team at investingforfreedom.co and we can continue the conversation. Um, enjoy the interview. We're going to have a, a panel and we're really going to talk about how some people have transitioned and pivoted through COVID. And we've got three amazing brothers that are coming up that all three own really strong businesses and are strong investors as well and really are people that we have found are pouring into other areas of their life in a big way. So um, we want to bring up uh, our three panelists, and we've got uh, Mike Ayala coming up, Alex Memka, and Camille Mars. Come on up, guys. Weird thumb hug around the mic. That's that's the new COVID. That's the new COVID. Yeah. All right. So guys, here's what we want to do is uh, just jump into getting to know you guys. For anybody that doesn't uh, know you, so would love to start off with you guys just sharing a little bit about your background and you know kind of what has brought you to this point where you are today. So Mike, why don't we go ahead and kick off with you? I'm the lucky kicker offer. So. I was a plumber by trade, um, started my first business in 2004, I was 24 years old, um, which I won't go into a lot of the reasons, but um, I found myself at a place which we started talking about. Um, I was working 90, 100 hours a week, um, missed my wife's third pregnancy, um, just found myself there. And a lot of the guys, you know, I've been having a lot of conversations with Jeff, right? Um, we don't own our time. And so that kind of led me into starting my first business, which was a plumbing and HVAC company. That was a crazy ride. 
um, Inc. fastest growing companies in America. I mean, double digit growth every single year, 100 employees. I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, none. So like all of us, you know, you, you find rooms like this, you surround yourselves, you hire the best coaches, did all that stuff and ended up exiting that business in 2014. Along the way, um, we were making a, you know, a lot of, spinning off a lot of capital like business does. I mean, I've, I look up to David Osborne so much when he's talking about the three legs. Um, and I've heard it said too that a lot of people, a lot of wealthy people made their money in business, but they hold it in real estate or other investments, right? And so we followed that trend. I, um, I ended up buying five mobile home parks along the way, um, had 45 single families, and then three commercial buildings when I, when I sold the business in 2014. I kept the real estate and then kind of went on this journey of what's next. Um, found the real estate guys um, through a mastermind and teamed up with my partner, and we started syndicating manufactured housing communities. And um, you know, currently we're at 39 communities in 13 states. Um, have a construction company which is completely on hold right now. Um, a property management company, which we had to you know, spend a lot of time adjusting through COVID, which we'll probably talk about, but that's my background. That's what brought us to today. Yeah, awesome. Mike, thank you. Camille, go ahead. Uh, so, uh, my name is Camille. Um, born and raised in Poland, came to the States when I was 13 years old. And um, right out of college, I was supposed to become a lawyer, took the LSAT and everything, and then my mom says, why don't you try the family business, help us out? We always got along, so I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? And then maybe, that was 05. Maybe six months later, she set, set me and my, my brothers right there. She sat us down and she's like, boys, peace out, I'm out to Florida. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. Similar situation. So it was a small mom and pop uh, roofing and siding business, right? A service business. Uh, so I took it in 05, I took it through 09, and it survived. I, 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 again, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, and then it grew, I, I uh, discovered you know, systems, processes, people, all that, all that stuff, go abundance uh, around 2017, and there was, a, there was this, this, this high, high, high growth over the last, say, five years. Um, so yeah, and then COVID hit, and it's even better now. Yeah. Awesome. Camille, thank you. Alex, go ahead. Um, so similar background, uh, I would say uh, I, uh, I'm originally from Macedonia. Um, I came to the States uh, when I was uh, 20 years old. And uh, uh, I came here to basically look at uh, uh, opportunities that uh, I just didn't have in Macedonia. I had 100 bucks in my pocket. and. Uh, uh, figured uh, I'll give it a shot. Um, <clears throat> I finished school. I, I had uh, a decent amount of offers. So I ended up doing consulting uh, for, uh, for a startup. And uh, uh, sort of uh, some, some, uh, some projects uh, uh, put uh, themselves in front of me that uh, uh, allowed me to see how a business can be really built uh, if you just uh, uh, believe in, in what's uh, uh, beyond the, what's the visible. Um, and uh, after a while, I figured, uh, well, why would I work for someone else when I can do this uh, for myself? At that point, I started uh, a company in Macedonia because I was looking for a way to give back to the community that basically brought me up uh, and invested in me, uh, in my education. Um, and uh, uh, at that point, uh, I, I started that company. 
Uh, we've uh, grown that uh, uh, over the years. We are 160 people now with offices in Macedonia, uh, the Netherlands, uh, uh, and uh, uh, soon uh, here in the US. Um, we we uh, do integrate what's called the integration consultancy. Um, and uh, with COVID, uh, we, we certainly got hit uh, just because of uh, uh, who our clientele is, uh, significantly on the retail side. Um, uh, but uh, to, to the point, there is things that you do based on who you are and who you are as a business person. Um, so uh, there's pretty good stuff that you can uh, actually uh, uh, use from, from the, the whole situation. So that's... That's why we can go into a lot more details. Yeah, appreciate that, Alex. So I want to dive into this. So COVID hits, and as the news is unfolding about things shutting down everywhere, let's talk about that first week and the mindset behind as things are shutting down. What are you guys thinking, and what are you doing at that point? So I, I, I can go. Um, um, for, for me, uh, this wasn't the first time. Um, and I, I've talked about this uh, within uh, our pod. Um, I lived uh, uh, in former Yugoslavia when Chernobyl happened. And we were told if you leave the house, you'll die. And we would let the old people go out because they're dying anyway. Um, so living through that uh, uh, is, is not normal for, for children, right? Yeah. Uh, but we lived through it. So how we lived through it and, and what damage we have uh, uh, sort of... Uh, sanitized us for what happened. So when COVID happened, uh, I was like, huh, what's the big deal? You know, uh, it's just another virus, it'll pass and it'll, that'll be that. Obviously, um, I made some mistakes uh, believing in that because I made some stupid investments, uh, uh, you know, in, in uh, 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 stocks like Boeing and uh, um, uh, Caramel Cruises and, and others. Uh, so, so you, you uh, bought at when they were high or when they started? I bought uh, a, a few times and, and I lost my neck, uh, but I'm still in it. Uh, so that's another uh, lesson learned. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving up. Uh, but at one point, <laughs> at one point when my wife saw that uh, I'm uh, 1.7 million in red, she's like, okay, uh, I'm going to leave the room now because I'll either kill you or kill myself. Uh, either, one would be, either one would be bad for the kids, right? So let's not do that. I was like, yeah, that would be a good idea. Um, <laughs> but, I love it. Uh, awesome. Lesson learned there, right? Um, fr from a, a business perspective, uh, we said this is going to be a shit show. Uh, so what do we do about it? Um, uh, a lot of uh, personal development uh, things have uh, taught me. Uh, these are the businesses that are going to be either failing or uh, will be uh, suffering. Here's what the impact is going to be on us. Uh, we, we do business with uh, you know, IKEA, Guitar Center, and uh, others uh, that, uh, Slumberger, for example, you know, uh, being out of Houston, right? Uh, Slumberger let, what, 28,000 people uh, overnight? Uh, we stayed. So the question is how? How did we get there? Um, uh, what I've learned is you got to provide value every time you can. So when companies came to us uh, and said, hey, we're going to uh, have to reduce staff, I was like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, what do you really need? Because uh, one of the companies uh, furloughed 9,000 people and is telling us, well, we're really sorry, but we'll, we'll have to let three of your guys go. I'm like, okay, what do you really need? Because you just lost 9,000 people. And they said, well, these are the few things that we'll really uh, need to keep the business running. And I was like, how about I give you five people on my dime and let them work on that. So keep the three you have and I'll give you five more. Uh, and, and just keep on uh, uh, doing what you need to do. 
Another thing we did is uh, we invested into uh, mobile apps. So we gave mobile apps uh, to IKEA, for example, we gave them a coloring book, uh, just because th that's what they have in the stores. We gave them a, a digital coloring book, and we just gave it away. What happened is because of that, now we are on their top list to, to pay first, uh, to bring back first uh, the, the company where uh, 9,000 people were uh, let go, called us the other day and said, hey, we want to add uh, uh, five more people. We want to convert those that you have uh, uh, given us for free, and we'll add five more. Sorry, we can't really bring our own employees back, but we know that you guys are actually truly uh, running our business. So those are the things that... Uh, that sort of came to mind, uh, because we've seen 2008, and we didn't start with uh, freaking out. We just said, well, yeah, this is normal, and if it is normal, then what will we do? And uh, we basically uh, said, we're going to be friends and partners with our current uh, clients, because now is the time when they need us. They don't need us when it's all Goldilocks. Yeah, Alex, I mean, that's such a powerful mindset, because I think a lot of people in that, you know, in, in that situation would go to self-preservation and say, hey, we're getting some people cut, maybe from multiple clients, and you guys turn around and say, hey, you guys are getting your asses kicked as a company, how can we help? You know, what do you guys need right now? Um, and that, I think that's a, a beautiful lesson. Yeah, and, and for us it was simply, now is the time to invest the capital we have. We have people and we have obviously uh, funds that we've uh, put aside, but if we don't invest right now, then when would we? Yeah. Right? Uh, it, you, you can't really invest when it's uh, all uh, uh, great. And at the same time, we're investing uh, back in Macedonia with the people because other companies are falling apart. They didn't really put any capital aside. So now we're basically getting people that are really uh, great people uh, to have on board uh, kind of on the cheap because you know, there, there aren't that many opportunities. Yeah, and essentially you're saying you're, you're investing in relationships. Pretty yeah. much. Love yeah. it. Camille, what, first week COVID hits, like what's going through your head? What, what, what's happening, man? Man, I got fucking excited. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was waiting for this moment years. So well, for, let me just say this. First thought in my mind, I'm going to finally put a lid on my, on my wife's spending. Like, now it's my time. <laughs> you know? but, How's anyway. that worked out? <laughs> Actually, pretty, pretty good. But uh, fizzles out. That energy fizzles out real quick. Uh, I love what David said earlier on the stage, that internal clock where you feel it. We all feel We all have had these conversations. You know, when is it going to happen? So I've been, I've been preparing, um, and I was ready, and I got excited. Obviously, fearful at the same time because you don't want your people around you to, to get hurt, to get laid off, all that stuff. But um, essentially, I just attacked my, my P&L, uh, I attacked all the expenses, see where the, where the flaws are. And then I actually went back to my notes from GoAbundance meetups, different events, and I kind of started filtering through it. And uh, essentially I used this, this system that Jeff Hoffman talked about where you sponge information and at the right moment, stuff comes together and you, and you get the clear picture. And, uh, and that's what happened basically, so I then decided this is my time. Never up to then have I invested a dime in my business. Not a dime. Everything went into real estate. And I said, and a, and a buddy of mine who owns like a $30 million roofing company, he says uh, one of his biggest mistakes, or if he could do it over again, he would invest all his money in his own business. So at that time I said, that, that week actually I said, man, I am going all out, doubling my marketing effort. Everybody else is shrinking. Grant Cardone style, 
Yep. Uh, so, um, so I did that. I um, automatically went out looking for people. I didn't actually hire, but I filled my pipeline. And I'm actually, right now, it's a, it's a savior for me. Um, pipeline for salespeople, pipeline for installers. I talked to everybody and anybody I could. So I was busier throughout that three months where we were completely shut down than ever before, personally. Just, just working on the business, right? Uh, I think I made, so if I, if I wake up three years from now, I'll probably made maybe $5 million in that three months of, of, the, of the changes I made, uh, systems I implemented. I went all the way down to my processes from the very beginning, from entry-level positions. I, I just reviewed everything, uh, made it better. Um, so yeah, and then on an investment side, I got all excited. We bought a nice piece of land with, with my brother. So uh, we made moves. So I was, I, I, my risk tolerance is very high. Like in my regular investments, real estate and other stuff, you know, I, I was going all in on everything. And I finally decided it's time to go in on my own shit, you know? So you, you jumped in, you took a lot of action. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like how many of you guys, probably the, the initial hit of COVID, like how many of you guys were working uh, a lot? Like how many of you found yourself kind of just really grinding it out for the first, you know, two months? Yeah, cool. Mike, first week, what happens? So we actually, my, my son's a competitive wake surfer, um, and he was supposed to go to Asia early in the year. So I'd been kind of watching this anyway, um, just seeing what was going on in Asia, and I'd been telling him, you're not going on tour. And all of his contacts in Asia were basically saying, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. Well, then all of a sudden it wasn't, and they were like two months ahead of us, right? So we were kind of watching this a little bit, and I actually started having some meetings with my team, and they thought I was nuts. Um, but I, you know, at that point in time, it wasn't real high stress. It was just kind of like, hey, we might want to prep for this. And um, like I said, you know, we've got 39 communities, 13 different states. Um, so I was actually on vacation. We had gone to Hawaii March 6th. And I was on vacation when my leadership team decided to send everybody home. But we had kind of prepped for it. And so it was a little bit before I think, um, you know, Arizona or a lot of the states were telling us we had to shut down. We had just kind of put a contingency plan in place. And I had basically told my team, I said, look, I would rather, I'd rather test this out on our terms than, than be forced to do it. And the challenge that we have, obviously, is, is just being spread through so many municipalities, so many different counties, so many different states. Um, but that's also part of our benefit. I mean, our, our, our managers on site are used to working with our corporate team in Phoenix. So a big part of our business is already virtual. Our corporate team wasn't. Um, so, you know, the, the guy that basically runs our, our Park Place communities, he, he sent the team home when I was actually on vacation. They made the call um, just to kind of test everything out and make sure it was going. So our biggest challenge, um, you know, going through this, and we were talking about it a little bit at dinner, when, when you go into a situation like this, and I learned so much through it, and I just have to say I'm so glad that I'm part of this community um, because we have... You know, we have the voices that are in our head and the things that we're being told and our preconceived ideas about what's coming. But then when you can get on a call with, you know, David Osborne and, and brilliant, like, I mean, look how many business owners are in this room. Look how many investors are in this room. And so that collective brain power, um, being able to, you know, just kind of weigh what you're thinking against what everybody else is thinking. And um, that was huge benefit for me. Um, but like we were talking about at dinner, the, the challenge I think is, 
in times like that, you're making decisions based on intel that you don't know if it's true. You don't know if it isn't true. You don't know what's actually coming. But we just narrowed it down to one simple thing. And it's like, okay, what if I'm wrong? Okay, so what if we make these certain decisions and we're wrong? What's that outcome? And what if we're right? Um, I brought this up at dinner too. Um, the thing that I realized through this is wartime leaders are completely different than peacetime leaders. Um, in periods of time like that, I saw a lot of my leadership team actually freeze. Um, they're used to committee style meetings, right? Like you sit in a meeting for an hour and determine what you're gonna do next. There's no time for that. Um, so I really, I think that's the time for a lot of people that are in this room and the heads of businesses to really shine because we go into that wartime leader mode. And like David was talking about, um, you know, a lot of people to, I've been told the same thing, like you're such a dick and most of you guys would maybe not, well, maybe you do think that, I don't know. But, um, but you know, I've been told that so many times by my employees, but I've got to learn when to move out of that too. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm a visionary. Um, so having the integrator in our business is extremely important. But when it's time for the visionator to step in and, and push that team, that's what I really learned through this. I mean, we had to make fast decisions and I think the key is just making sure that, again, weighing the decisions against that question. What if I'm wrong? Is it gonna destroy my business if we make these moves and I'm wrong? And then what if we're right? If we don't make these decisions and we're right, is it gonna destroy our business? And so just weighing that, um, I, I really just taught the team, even though we couldn't slow down, just weigh those decisions against that. Our big challenge though, again, you know, 100% of our business has a lot of the guys in the room is based on rents and what we were hearing at that point in time or what we're thinking, unemployment's skyrocketing and we didn't know that you know, the government's just gonna give us all free money forever. And um, so we were just kind of basing all of our decisions off of thinking that rents probably weren't gonna come in. Here's what's interesting. Um, we laid off or furloughed basically. Um, we shut our construction company down. That was the first move we made because our construction team travels and they live inside the community. So when we buy a distressed community, you know, there might be 25 homes in there that they need to go remodel. So they'll go stay in a hotel room for two weeks and then they move in to the homes that they remodeled and they stay there. So I had these traveling crews of guys that are living out in our communities and we're seeing a possible shutdown two or three weeks down the road. And these guys are halfway across the country away from their families. We had to make that tough decision early on. That was the first thing we did, called the you know, all the construction guys and said, hey, listen, we're sending you guys home. We're furloughing you, even though, I mean, that was before, that was the first shutdown that we did because I didn't want our guys to be st stuck in a community living in, you know, our homes with six guys in, a, in two different homes and, and, and be away from their families. So, you know, those are the kind of decisions that you have to make along the way. And it's not easy. And we haven't brought those guys back um, just because I'm, I'm not comfortable sending them, you know, halfway across the country. So, I mean, that's the decisions that we're still facing. Um, a lot of the guys probably would take that burden on, but I don't know that I want to, right or wrong. But it, that's that questioning, right? So what if I'm wrong? Well, what if I'm right and I've got guys living in communities all across the country and they can't get home to their families? So I don't Yeah, so one of the things that uh, we found with a lot of the clients that we work with, because we work with a lot of service-based clients, and what they felt is, especially the first six weeks of the COVID hit, there was a huge burden placed on the, on the leadership teams within their companies, and they started really seeing some big gaps showing up, right? So I want to ask you guys about your leadership teams. What did that look like over the first 30, 60 days of COVID? What were the conversations, and how did you guys have to step up as leaders in those, those situations? 
I'll dive in there. So, you know what Dirk does, and, and I, I was on a webinar with Dirk a couple weeks ago about pivot-ready teams, which I think is a, you know, a brilliant thing you're moving into. Um, and we're getting ready to shift a little bit, and that's why I really wanted to see what was going on. But, you know, I know a lot of the guys in the room work off of traction or, you know, a philosophy similar. And we were self-implementing for six or eight months, and then we, I realized it was too much for me, so we brought in an implementer. We had our list of RPRS, right people, right seats. And we had some decisions that we'd been dragging out for, I mean, years in some cases. Um, I think the value in those kinds of, I, I can see it more clearly than I ever have, of having those lists and making decisions in a timely manner. Um, it's hard sometimes when you're not in that war mentality, you know, you're in peacetime leadership to make those tough decisions. But as soon as COVID hit, our leadership team already had the right people, right seat list. And so it was really easy um, to make the, the picks that we needed to make, right? But then when you talk about, the question was, what holes show up in your leadership team? Um, I learned some valuable lessons through that. And I think number one is just, um, my, my team really shined. Um, loyal, you know, the loyalty. And um, not one of them have complained through this whole thing, even though, you know, some of them are, I, I know our controller is working 80, 90 hours a week. Um, no complaining. And so I didn't see... There is some gaps. We, through this process, we brought in a fractional CFO because it's something that we've been tiptoeing around for a while. But we're like, oh, you know, our controller can handle it. But then once she got overloaded, it became very apparent. The holes that we knew we had, we, we needed to step in and fill. So we started outsourcing, you know, some positions. But, but I think times like this are where, where certain people can shine too. So I didn't really see a lot of gaps necessarily that we didn't already know. Um, but it was really on us as the owners to like with my controller, say, hey, listen, you don't have to worry about that. We're gonna go hire a fractional CFO, which we should have done six or 12 months ago and, and fill that need for you. So it was really weaknesses on our part, not making decisions or in, in that peacetime, really. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. I mean, I, I was thinking that's, that's so impressive. Um, you know, Dylan's supposed to go to the East and so you're, you're kind of keeping a, an eye on things and you recognize, hey, this is, this is probably gonna come here. Because I think a lot, a lot of people were looking at, you know, when, when we're seeing the news of what's happening in December in China, you know, how many people were starting to think like, wow, this is actually going to show up here and it's going to shut our country down. I don't think a lot of people were, were thinking that way. So good for you for having that foresight and that vision and prepping your team for it. Yeah, good job, man. Camille, what about you? Like, what did, what did happen with your leadership team? Any breakdowns? Like, I mean, maybe for you guys, it's been growing like crazy and the growth is causing stress. But like, what, what, what's happened with your, your teams? Yeah, so I mean, for the, very, for the first three months, we were shut down, so there wasn't much operation going on. But uh, what I immediately implemented, and I, I believe I heard it on the very first uh, Monday night call, uh, was that you should uh, be very in touch with, with your team and then with, with your employees. So I started implementing immediately daily meetings. Uh, we, we even started doing a morning and a, and a, and a closeout meeting. Um, which, which is impactful and we continue to do it today. But more so than that, I started putting together meetings with the guys on the ground, with the, with the subs, with the installers. Uh, and that just created a, a tremendous culture shift, which now is just, you know, it resulted in, a, in an awesome, awesome working relationship. So I would have never done it if it wasn't for COVID, if it wasn't for any of this. So 
So you discover things, you, you discover implementations that you don't even think about uh, that tremendously help the business, right? So the meetings were key. Uh, Leadership-wise, everything, um, you know, we, we kind of had right people in the right seats. We still have. Um, but very similar to, to your situation, we decided that we need to hire uh, an, 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 not an implementer, but a coach, an EO coach. So we did, so I just did a few weeks ago. Um, we just, it, it's just as, we had, we had uh, richer conversations as a leadership team, not just about the day-to-day, because day-to-day wasn't happening, right? So we started having conversations about what the business should look like, where we have to be on the other side of this whole thing. And that resulted in some major changes, man. Very cool. Alex, what things look good with your team? So um, I would say in the beginning, we were sort of ready for it because we, we uh, went through a certification process uh, for security uh, uh, and confirming that the company knows how to deal with disasters. So that taught us uh, what to do from system perspective, from people perspective, uh, and we do 100%, uh, almost 100% remote work. So that part wasn't new. So uh, I'm curious, like what prompted you guys to get certified in kind of uh, being ready for disasters? Like we're, we're Regulation there. in Europe uh, and uh, finding the right clients in the US. Uh, so to have that sort of badge uh, of recognition that you know how to be uh, cognizant of uh, other people's privacy, how to securely manage that information and educate your team on it uh, uh, is basically how you win some of the uh, right contracts. So we, we had to do that uh, kind of regardless. Um, and we, we basically went through an audit uh, just weeks before uh, COVID happened. So it was fresh in, in our minds. And when we started hearing, um, I was actually in Macedonia, uh, I think the first week of uh, March, and uh, we started talking about it. So if this happens, can we run a uh, show on how this would uh, play out? Um, and we just executed. So that part was easy. The second part was also easy when we said, uh, here's what the situation is right now. Let's go and invest. And we invested uh, uh, heavily into our educational system uh, or uh, uh, educational uh, division. Basically, since we can't get uh, people in, in a classroom, we're going to either give away uh, free training or we'll charge a, a nominal fee to train uh, people that are now sitting at home for our clients. Uh, we were already doing that for, for our team, so we just expanded on that. But we, we revamped the, the whole uh, educational uh, side of the business. Uh, we uh, got people to go and get certified. Uh, you know, we do a lot of Amazon, we do a lot of uh, mobile development, go get certification. So we pushed them, and that went uh, really well uh, for a couple of months. After that, uh, and uh, uh, I want to say that during that period, uh, I don't think people believed that this is going to get any worse. So they're still kind of warm, right? And they're, now they're all working from home. No one is complaining. Uh, now the second or the last uh, uh, few weeks, I would say we've, we started seeing problems. Now uh, as, as business starts to pick up uh, and, and people start calling, all the seeds that we planted uh, you know, in March are now uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, opening up and, and they're knocking on our door. Now I'm sensing fear in the same team that implemented it. How the hell are we going to do this? You know, there's so many people. There are so many projects. Uh, we're getting three uh, requests uh, for, for proposals a day, uh, whereas before it may have been one a week, right? How are we going to do this, right? Uh, um, we, we bought a building just before uh, COVID happened. And I, I actually, uh, uh, some of you guys know, I hired a new CEO, a COO, uh, and uh, um, a couple of managers uh, at the end of February. So this whole thing, 
brand new leadership team. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is a change. And in the middle of it, I had to fire my HR director because something happened, so we had to let her go. Um, which is probably the, the worst time that you get rid of uh, you know top uh, HR uh, uh, position. Um, but uh, what we noticed is that because of people being at home, they sort of relaxed a little bit. Um, and what was easily believable, you know, in March and, and April, in June, it's like, hmm, I, I think that's going to be really hard. And I was like, what? To wake up? Come on, man. Uh, right. So we started talking through some of those things, and we, we simply decided. Uh, you know, COVID or no COVID, uh, we got to get back to work. We got to get into the office and get into that uh, 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 sort of uh, mechanical uh, aspect of, of what work is. Uh, and it's already showing um, the, the, the results that uh, people, after some time, just get uh, numb to, uh, to what's happening. And now COVID, you know, and listening to other stuff, uh, what I was going to say uh, uh, as a comment to what you were talking about, uh, uh, we are also put to be the voice of calm uh, when others are commenting, right? That's what we were talking about uh, at dinner, that uh, there's a lot of noise. And uh, we're often uh, there to basically ask the question, is this really noise or not? Yeah. What if it was a noise? Uh, what would we do? Right? So I, I think that's really where uh, we play a critical role in, in uh, owning a business or supporting the team to actually work. Um, so by asking some of those questions, I think, you know, I, I'm... I'm uh, 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 on the right path now with, with the right leadership, but uh, time will tell, and, and some of the things we, we need to uh, change some people. So you guys all really kind of turned into your businesses. You started going through your systems and processes. You were investing in your people, really stepped in. What's been the result for you? Like, how, how have things changed in business for you guys since COVID hit? So, I mean, for me, it's been uh, an increased uh, request. We, we haven't, uh, uh, when we, uh, in, in the services business, uh, most are basically either gone if they didn't have capital or uh, they're questioning how to uh, shut down. Um, for us, uh, when, when this started, uh, we thought, well, uh, if we are you know, at zero, uh, we'll be okay. Uh, we're at 25% uh, uh, profit now, uh, which, which uh, is decent. Last year, we were uh, a little over 50. Um, so... Um, uh, right now, the, the pipeline that we have is three times more than what we had in the end of uh, last year uh, or, or early uh, Q1. Um, so all the investments that we put in, we do a ton of more uh, webinars and, and marketing and all that. Uh, so we increase our presence, which now uh, uh, is uh, yielding a lot more calls, a lot more uh, qualified leads. Uh, so looking towards how we... Uh, monetize this over the next three years, uh, um, I believe uh, it's going to be significant uh, revenue booster uh, versus what we would have thought uh, um, uh, you know, early on. Um, some of the plans were in place, but they were less aggressive. Uh, COVID just made us a lot more aggressive just because uh, there was a little bit of push behind us. So. Awesome. Camille, what's changed, I mean, for you guys? I mean, you, you said earlier some, I mean, a lot of good things have happened, but, you know, with your, with your teams, with the business, like, what, what's happening today? Yeah, I mean, the business is definitely going to hit last year's mark in nine months of production versus 12 months, which is fucking amazing if you break even, right? Uh, next year, I'm, I'm scared, man. I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> Broski, you got to come back, help me out, man, because he lives in Florida. Uh, 
So all the all the great problems that you want to have are going to happen, and business should definitely grow at least thirty percent next year, if not fifty. Uh, and uh, it's good good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I said this already, but times like this allow you to make decisions that you probably should have made a long time ago. So we're we're definitely a lot leaner. Um, we were definitely structured for growth. We had a big acquisition strategy for this year, um, which is out the window. Um, you know, some of the things that we were debating internally for a while, um, you know, how many communities can we actually acquire? Because unlike five or 10 years ago, everybody's really excited about manufactured housing communities. So, you know, prices are, it doesn't mean we can't get deals, but we started having conversations about how do we consolidate operators in lieu of picking up one, two, and three deals at a time. Um, it's kind of interesting because we had May tied for our highest sales and leasing month ever with no managers on site. Um, so it really gets you thinking about, you know, just everything that you're doing. Um, our, our managers in most communities, um, even though, so they couldn't come on site, generally speaking, unless there was an emergency. Um, so we immediately went into, you know, lock boxes and how do you do virtual showings and, and stuff like that? And I, we're, we're kind of sorting through like how much, how far back do you go? I mean, if you can have your, what tied for your highest sales and leasing month ever with no managers on site and 39 communities across the country, like, you know, where, where, where do you go with that? Um, so if, you know, as real estate investors, I'd love to have that conversation and, and hear what everybody's doing. Our, our corporate team in Arizona is as tight as it's ever been. I mean, they really banded together. Something I find myself thinking a lot, I think sometimes when we're not in crisis or overloaded, I think we create a lot of problems. Um, you know, we're constantly putting new projects on our team and, and trying to sort through what really matters. Well, in times of crisis, it becomes really clear. And the thing that I learned through this is, um, you know, teams need the ladder um, the latitude to make decisions. And so how do you rally everybody around something simple? And it just popped in my brain, you know, a simple mantra, protect, protect the team, protect the asset, protect the residents. And if every decision you make, you can filter against that. Are you protecting the asset? Is this decision helping that asset, that property? Are you protecting the team? So when we decide to send the team home, you know, we're protecting the team, but then the concern is the asset. Well, if there's nobody there to show houses, are we going to lose that by sending the construction team home? I literally have 18 available units right now across the country, which is nothing. Um, so now we've got an inventory problem. So, you know, it's got our team working on tighter issues. And I think, again, in times of peace, um, I think we waste a lot of time on things that really don't matter. And I'm really seeing my team shine. Um, and also, you know, I've been working on a, I said this already, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a plumber by trade. Um, Tyler, that runs our, our property management and construction company, he stepped up. We've streamlined. I don't think our acquisition strategy is going to go back to what it was anytime soon. So we're shifting. We're going to start 
you know, buy and service businesses. We started analyzing a fund like three years ago, we started working on this. Um, I'm gonna shift to that model because my role in the company was like growth and vision. Well, we're gonna slow that growth down. I mean, we'll be happy if we do three acquisitions this year. Um, so, you know, the team's really pulled together and shined. But I think the key is getting them something to rally around that they can make simple decisions based off of. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, with everything that you know today about COVID, everything you've learned, and you just said, you know, you're going into a pivot to start acquiring, you know, service-based businesses, but what do you envision for the next three to five years with what you know today? So, so for me, you know, for all of us that love the manufactured housing space, I mean, I've been concerned about this for a little bit anyway because of housing prices. The other side of that, um, affordable housing is holding up like nothing we've seen so far. What does that look like six months from now, 12 months from now? Um, you know, for us, it's about direct, um, you're, you're, you're in the business I want to pivot to essentially, right? But in the, in the housing sector, I get a little concerned long-term about, you know, what that looks like. Um, our, our case for affordable housing has always been the same conversation and I'll stand by it. Um, I hate to say that I think there's going to be a major housing correction next year, but I think there's probably going to be a major housing correction sometime coming. So affordable housing, I think, is going to fare well. We just have to make sure that we're structured properly and, and, and can get through that. Now on the service side, I think immediately, you know, Camille was so excited because um, those types of businesses are going to flourish. I mean, you try to get a contractor or a service business or something out to your house right now and they're just, they're stacked up. And so immediately, and I've always believed this thesis on the HVAC side. I went through this in 07, owning my, my company then. I mean, we blew up. Now in fairness, it was a gold mining community, which is counter cyclical. But I think, you know, people always need their air conditioners fixed. They always need their sewer lines unplugged. They always need their roof fixed, those kind of things. And so um, I'm, I'm optimistic on both. Affordable housing, I think, is going to do well. Um, I think what we've got to watch out for is the prices. Um, you know, at what price can you continue to, to acquire manufactured housing or, you know, apartment complexes? That's, that's what I'd love to have this conversation, but that's what kind of triggers in the back of my mind is more money's coming after it and more operators are coming into it. You know, we, we're taking our acquisition strategy from 12 to 15 per year down to three to five. And I think the key, we're gonna look at rolling up operators. So if I can buy one operator per year that owns five parks or 10 parks, um, that, that's a winning strategy, I think. Um, where's Doug? Doug, are you ready to sell? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, guys, just there's, there's so many guys out there that have owned their communities forever, and I think if you can strategically partner through that, that might be a win. So on the business you're already in, it sounds like you guys are gonna go um, fewer acquisitions but larger scale acquisitions. But then you're not, you know, and I think this is what David was talking about earlier, is that you are going after that next big leg for you, right? You're, you're saying like, look, we, we're not gonna be as aggressive in this area, but we're pivoting and I'm ready to re-engage into another area and get, get really aggressive there. Yeah, and I think the key with that is, you know, and this is the shiny object syndrome. I mean, I, I brought the guy that I'm, you know, one of the guys that I'm going to bring on for the new leadership team. Um, he worked for me years ago, and now he's like the head coach for a company we coached with. I brought him into Phoenix three years ago to map out this new fund. But I didn't, I didn't go after it then because I wasn't ready. I didn't want to leave what we were currently working on. So I think the key for people like us in this room is to just make sure that you're fortified on this leg before we move on to this one. 
Um, and, you know, my team was ready, but through COVID, I mean, they really shown, I, it's time for me to move. But yes, I, I think it's time for that leg. Nice. Camille, what about you, man? What do you see in the next three to five years? Yeah, so I definitely want to piggyback, piggyback off of what Mike is saying, because obviously service industry is going to flourish, but I want to be conscious of being open to possibilities, right? So, so finding uh, uh, complementary industries that could fit into my portfolio. So looking into maybe getting into the solar business, right? If I'm on that roof already, it just fits. Um, once, once I'm fully automated in my current business, again, fortifying that leg, then I can do, uh, you know, dive into that, that other aspect a little more. But it's, I think times will change, uh, obviously with, with technology and, uh, it's going to be very important to stay at least with the wave. Uh, I'm not genius enough to be ahead of the wave, so I'll just wait. I'll just uh, you know uh, do that. Uh, uh, but you don't want to you don't want to you know, be a step behind, you know. Uh, and I think I'm excited about that because it, unfortunately my industry is very low barrier of entry, right? Mm -hmm. uh, these guys make it very easy for me to make money, right? All I got to do is show up to the kitchen table. You know, because 50% of customers tell me 50% of people I call don't even show up. So uh, I'm excited what's, what's up ahead with technology, with implementing other, other complementary businesses, because I know my competition is not even thinking about that. Yeah. Awesome. Alex, what about you, man? What's coming up? Um, so uh, a few things. Um, I mean, COVID showed us uh, who the survivors are going to be. Uh, from uh, We're in uh, IT services uh, business, and uh, uh, we realized that people that weren't really thinking about digitalization are just not going to exist anymore. And we're already seeing that, especially in Europe, uh, a number of uh, clients that uh, uh, or prospects that we had in mind, uh, we just punted. You know, they're, they're not going to be out there uh, you know, in six, uh, maybe 12 months. Um, so we looked at two uh, aspects. One, people. Uh, what do we want our people to look like in three years and what skills they must have because a lot of this uh, push towards digitalization is going to bring other products to the market where our current skills are going to be useless in three years. So we pivoted uh, into what we're learning now that is going to put us on a different uh, 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 field uh, uh, compared to uh, competition. So we're learning things that uh, we believe are going to be crucial for what's, uh, what's coming in the digitalized uh, world. Um, we are focusing on certain industries. So we believe the uh, finance industry is going to go through uh, another revolution, and they're going to be looking for uh, much better solutions that give them quick access to information uh, to know who is the right customer, how they can provide the really tailored uh, or curtailed uh, uh, product uh, uh, in seconds. Um, so we're building some solutions uh, for certain industries. And uh, in many cases, we are also changing our approach. We are giving away uh, uh, kind of a, a taste of uh, what uh, could be there. Uh, we, we've built chatbots and uh, a, a lot of other things that uh, give them a sense of what they could be doing. You know, uh, um, when, uh, when a company comes to us uh, and, and say, hey, it would be nice to improve the uh, call center. Um, our approach now is, well, what if you get rid of the call center and you automate all of that. Have you thought about that? And it makes them pause, but that's gonna be reality. And we are actually investing into building products and solutions that make that uh, real. And when we present it, people 
open up about the whole set of other ideas that, you know, uh, in January or February of this year, that would have been, you know, a decade out. Uh, now it's reality because it's possible. Um, so a lot of that uh, is going to mean uh, a new investment or continuous investment into or heavier investment into what we thought uh, is possible, but also changing focus from what we thought would be uh, a good set of uh, clientele in a given industry to completely punting those and then focusing on those that are a little bit ahead of the competition with digitalization, and that's where we are. All right, guys, so here's what we're going to do. We've got, um, we got about uh, 12, 13 minutes left. I want to open it up to you guys with questions. What do you guys want to ask these guys about business, about investing, how they, how they pivoted things? What, what would you guys like to ask them? All right, let's go back to uh, Jake. Hey guys, um, wanted to know what, I know it, it seemed very optimistic as far as your outlook, and obviously Mike, you talked about a potential housing, uh, you know, something happening, recession. Uh, so what, what's keeping you up at night? What are the things that you are concerned about that, um, you know, would cause you to pause or even pivot again? That, I mean, politically, could be, you know, you know, politics, any, anything, COVID, another round, another disease, I mean, anything. So for me, the, the, the shining thing in, the, in all of this is I know I can shrink in a heartbeat with one, you know, phone call, and the business uh, covers expenses with, with minimal effort, right? I know I can do that personally. I know I can do that with my overhead with, with my business. Um, so if shit hits the fan again, you know, I'm ready. Um, but more so what keeps me up at night is the fact that this, the, the fear of the growth and how we're going to handle that because, you know, you don't want to grow too fast and then hurt your reputation and all, all that stuff that comes along with, with, with that. Um, but, yeah, I survived 09. I, 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 we did pretty good this time around. So I think we're in a good spot. Mike? So I, I'm constantly asking myself, like, how do we not lose this sense of urgency, right? Because, I mean, if, if things kind of chill out, which I, I don't know, I mean, we're, we're wearing masks at an event and spaced apart, but if things chill out, how do we keep that sense of urgency? So one of the, we have a sense of urgency internally. So I hadn't mentioned this, but one of the first things that we did, we took all of our properties and put them into A's, B's, and C categories. And the A's were, you know, I mean, unless we had some kind of, you know, 50% reduction in rent collections and, and that kind of stuff, they were going to survive. They were funded properly. They're, they're good assets. The Bs were like, hey, we need to keep a pulse on this based on these different metrics and, and, and watch them because if we drop down to like 75% collections, we could have some issues. And then the Cs were like things that we've been talking about offloading um, for a couple years. Um, so that's one of the first things that we did, Jake, and what... There is a sense of urgency for us to reposition our entire portfolios um, and offload. Uh, you know, we're probably going to sell part of our um, purpose in hiring the fractional CFO was to run all this analysis for us and really be an advisor to us and make some, you know, help us make recommendations because we found our accounting team was burdened with 
trying to do operations, but then also we're constantly pulling on them for this. So we're probably going to offload 10 to 15 assets in the next three months to six months um, to position our portfolios to be ready for, you know, hopefully stable, but worst case, a dip, right? And again, I'm optimistic on the affordable housing side, but it brings, uh, not to get too far in the weeds, but you know, David asked me today, why do you only have 18 units right now? Well, number one, our construction teams aren't traveling. Number two, the factories aren't, there's backlogs in the factories. Um, finding people to set the homes is a challenge. Um, and then financing, financing is gonna be, financing is always a challenge in the manufactured housing space, but it's probably gonna get a little bit worse. So we gotta solve all those problems. And I think for what's keeping me up at night, um, I'll sleep a lot better when we've offloaded our C assets and, and some of our Bs and just repositioned some of our portfolio. And by the way, the other side of that, and I haven't had this conversation with most of my team, um, but then you can lean down the team a little bit too. And, and um, we're trying to get out of certain states too. So we have some assets that are actually performing, but they're in states that we don't wanna be in. And that's the thing that I think we need to watch. Um, certain. Certain asset classes are shining through this. Certain types of businesses are shining through this. I mean, you guys are shining. But there's certain markets, too. You know, we've had conversations for years. What markets do we want to be in? Well, the markets are kind of showing themselves to us, right? Um, so I don't, I don't know that it's really keeping me up at night, but I want to get as lean and mean as possible for now. Yeah, for, for me, it's uh, are we aggressive enough? Are we keeping someone that we should have fired a while ago? And are we missing someone on the team that has surfaced up, but we just didn't really pay attention? That's it. Okay, cool. You got somebody? Okay, let's go to room B, and then we're going to go to Tommy. Hey, guys, this has been uh, just freaking phenomenal. So thank you all so much for this. But, Mike, you mentioned three legs or three pillars or something like that. Can you go over those? Well, I think David mentioned the, the three legs. Did, um, did I miss that? <laughs> Did yeah. he go over them? <laughs> if he did, Doc, disregard, but maybe I just missed it. But do you have uh, different legs uh, for yourself? Uh, I mean, obviously you talked about the business. Do you have anything else? Maybe it'll cover the same thing. Yeah, um, so I think Dirk kind of brought up that I'm going back to my second leg, right? Um, which is actually my first leg. So I was in the HVAC business, sold all that off. Um, so I think manufactured housing space is probably my first leg right now. I do have a personal rental portfolio still too. Um, that, you know, my, but in, I've been having conversations with David Osborne about this for eight months now. Um, I was thinking about offloading a lot of my personal portfolio then, and I'm really thinking about it now. Um, you know, having, and again, this is the value of this tribe, but just sitting down with Patton and Tim today, again, it's like um, I keep finding myself saying the same thing. Like, I got to do the same thing in my personal legs. Um, so I know that's not, I don't really have a third leg. I'm just a two-legger. <laughs> you got two solid legs, man. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, Tommy, go ahead. So, uh, good times. It depends on you know how good, good looking you are. Times. The mic works. Okay, so uh, would you say you got away from your acquisition strategy for this year, specifically based off the type of capital you were acquiring with, or the risk level associated with the fact that you didn't have operations to do the turnover model like what was that pivot that you guys decided you're like this is our main focus we're adiosing our plan like how do you describe that 
So the writing has been on the wall for a little bit. Um, <laughs> we just don't want to see it. Um, we were structured for growth. And actually, if there was anything that could have taken our business down during this time, um, it was being too overhead intense, being structured for growth. And then we had some key people that were really expensive too that were um, focused on acquisitions. And um, when, it talk, when it comes to RPRS, like right people, right seats, we had an internal problem that's been a problem for like two years. But we just kept putting up with it because we had this huge acquisition strategy and she had us over a barrel. Um, so anyway, the writing's been on, a wall, on the wall. Um, financing is a challenge. Um, so here's, here's the thing in the manufactured housing space for anybody that's really in it. Um, we buy a lot of distressed properties, um, but even on the more stable assets, um, you know, unless you get into a certain level, certain markets, and um, a low amount of park-owned homes, the financing is always a little bit more challenging than apartments, um, unless you really get into like the big, more stable Class A units. So financing's an issue. Um, capital's, capital dried up, I mean, for the most part. There's still people wanting to place capital, and it's definitely coming back now. But for a month and a half, everybody that had committed capital to deals and everything was like, we're not doing anything for the next two months. So, so you got all these people situated for growth and everything else. And, and rather than having the furlough conversation, we just said, let's have the conversation we've been having internally anyway. We've been talking about like how difficult, can we really do 12 to 15 community acquisitions per year? And nobody wanted to say no, um, but the answer was no. Um, so we just came to reality with ourselves. And, and yeah, did COVID slap at us around and force us into it? Yeah, but it also forced, it was a good excuse to deal with people issues and inefficiency issues. And that's why I was saying about how do you keep that sense of urgency on the other side of this? I don't know the answer to that other than have Pat Hyben yell at you, you know, every couple months saying, are you keeping that sense of urgency? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I directly answered your question, no, but. Other questions? Yep, let's go to room B. Hey guys, uh, James Aduna from Los Angeles. This is my first time out here. It's been a privilege to be with all you guys. Um, Mike, you just uh, touched on a question I wanted to ask. Now, you guys obviously you know, looked at this COVID situation and really you know, made it your own, right? You guys are, looks like you're all capitalizing uh, with your companies, with your leadership. But can you guys like point a specific person within your organization and the type of maybe leadership or choices or uh, decisions they made to help you get to where you guys are today with this whole, you know, this whole crisis, so to speak, or pandemic? Yeah, so uh, I, I can talk about, um, um, I, I would point out uh, three people within my organization. Um, um, my uh, uh, legs of the stool, I, I, I often say I got four. Uh, one is the uh, operating business uh, that's in Macedonia. Uh, I do a lot of uh, uh, stock market uh, uh, investments, uh, um, and uh, I do investments uh, with uh, other people who are investing in funds, uh, uh, real estate funds, and then I do my own uh, real estate uh, uh, investment or uh, single-family homes. Uh, so those are the, the four. Uh, 
on the operating business side, um, uh, I have a CTO. Uh, again, we're a technology company, so I have a CTO that uh, I respect. Uh, and uh, what he has done uh, for me is look at the, the reality and interpret reality uh, by ignoring the noise. Um, so to me, that's a, a huge aid and an A player who every day comes in and says, here's what's going on. These are uh, the, the things that uh, you, know, you will hear in the news, but this is reality and here's why, right? So almost like a dissertation of why uh, uh, we should be going in a certain direction uh, uh, versus another. So that's uh, one key player. My wife is, a, is the second one because she keeps me honest about the bullshit that I tell myself, uh, um, you know? Uh, and the third is the pod. Uh, so uh, I see Mike here and we have a couple more guys uh, but the pod is uh, what's been working, uh, at least for me, to, again, uh, uh, be close to reality. Uh, we do a lot of uh, talks about uh, uh, family and what's important in life. Uh, so it's a good, uh, for those that aren't in a pod, uh, get in a pod. Uh, or if you're in a pod that's not working, find a pod that will work. Uh, uh, what we did uh, as part of COVID is we were going, what were we doing, Mike? Uh, once a month uh, or so, and then went down to two. Now we are basically, Every, uh, every week, uh, and sometimes it feels like uh, we want to chat uh, a few times a week. So, those are the things. Love it. What about you guys? Key people in your life that have helped you through this? Or in your, in your well, I'll second that a little bit. Obviously, uh, the pot and the, and the tribe, immense, immense value. Um, on, the, on the street level more so, obviously, I had the ideas. I had the drive to implement the ideas, but uh, similar to what you just said, I had, uh, you know, my people, my team said, hey, listen, this, this might work, this might not work, this is the reality. Because I, I am, I'm a 60% integrator, but I turn into this 90% visionary in, the, in that three months. And they had to keep me in check a little bit. So, um, so that was important. But I think the tribe by far, the, the ideas, um, the, the, the conversation, the rhetoric kind of, Put, put things in perspective for me, uh, made me made me put everything into action. So, GoPod, David Salas and my crew, man. Nice. Getting a fucking GoPod now. <laughs> I, I don't want to sound like a parrot, okay. but man, I love you guys. Like, <laughs> um, so our pod, Han, Hans is here, but you know we we went to twice a week, um, scheduled for an hour, and sometimes it was three. Um, just can't say enough about that you know just being able to bounce your frustrations or just ideas or you know what the craziness is that's coming but you know the question was the team and um so I can attribute it really to one person in my company and I've worked with him for a long time um he he worked for me in my first company for years and we went through a crisis in 07 together um laid off you know 45 people like two days before Christmas had a huge company go bankrupt on us. Like our guys showed up and they owed us like half a million bucks and that was a lot of money, it still is a lot of money. Um, so we, we went through some crisis together before. Um, when I sold my first company, he went off and started buying insurance companies and then um, bought, he's got manufactured housing too and then his, he's got his stuff set up completely passive. So I've been trying to get him to come to work for me for three years, he finally did a year ago um, and the timing is just perfect. Um, I probably would have destroyed our team through this because I'm, we just, we need to do it now and there's no, he's very, um, he's just, he's an integrator. He's very good at what he does. 
and keeping that calm and peace. And, um, you know, one of you guys was talking about, you know, we need to show up at this point in time as the leaders. And I just can't put up with, <laughs> like, slow movement or, <laughs> like, this is urgent. Like, we need to get stuff done. And so Tyler was pivotal through all this for me. I'm going to go home and maybe tell him how great he is. Because, um, you know, he really, um, I actually, honestly, after, like, the first two weeks, I stepped out. Um, and it would just be him and I talking, and obviously my partner. And we did a lot of restructuring, too. My partner um, stepped back into a lot of things that he used to do, and then it kind of got to a point where he just kind of phased out a lot of that and was just raising capital. So he stepped back in, and everybody just kind of found their groove. But having that number two person um, that can just keep the calm and implement the vision and keep everybody rowing in the same direction is extremely important. And for me, it was Tyler. Love it. Guys, you heard all three of these guys, and uh, this is nothing that Gowan said, but you guys all three said, hey, my pod was instrumental for me. And, um, you know, that's something that uh, we've, we've really started bringing a lot more focus back into Gowan and Sashir's uh, Are the Go Pods. You know, and, and uh, Mike and David and Pat and Tim, you know, set that example. I mean, they're still in a pod. Mike's actually in multiple pods, you know, and there's such wisdom and knowledge and support through that. And I want to encourage you guys, like, you know, like Alex said, if you're, if you're not in a pod, get in a pod. If there's something that's off on your pod, come to the Go team, talk to us, let us find out, you know, is there something we can help. There's always guys that are willing to jump into your pod and, and kind of go through some calls with you guys to get you on track. And by the way, Mel, when's the next GoPod launch? Do we know? Um, in two weeks. In two weeks, yeah. So I'll give you time to get settled back in from the event and get ready to get into a pod if you, if you want to, so... Um, guys, let's do this. Uh, any kind of final thoughts that you guys want to leave the tribe with tonight about, you know, what you guys have learned through the COVID experience in your businesses, in your lives? Um, don't freak out. Um, and uh, stay in the market. <laughs> yeah. Hold on to that, that Boeing <laughs> stock, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Camille. Yeah. Uh, the obvious, do the opposite, right? Everybody's shrinking, you expand. Pedal to the metal. Nice. Mike? I, you know, I, I think just getting clarity on what your strengths are. I think we spend a lot of time thinking about that, but times like this really show what we're good at and what we're not good at. And when you see that, move out of the way. I mean, once you get the right team in place. But, um, you know, I think we spend a lot of time, again, in, in peacetime thinking about a lot of this. And this isn't a pitch for you, but when you talk about, you know, pivot-ready teams and the leadership stuff that Dirk does, I think a lot of times in, in peacetime, we have time. There's no sense of urgency. Um, but I don't – we need to really focus on our strengths and, and focus on other people's strengths as well. And I think our job as leaders is to mine for that strength. Yeah. Like, what, you know, what are they good at? I know exactly what I'm not good at, and it's a lot. Yeah. Awesome. Guys, what do you guys think tonight? Huge value? Yeah. So I'd love to uh, just get maybe two or three people to just uh, show some appreciation for, for this mic. Go ahead. So um, obviously, uh, Alex, I get to spend a lot of time with you on our pod. It's amazing. Always love the insight that you bring, the humor. Uh, Great job tonight, just awesome wisdom shared. Camille, you as well, brother. 
We've traveled a lot. We get to spend a lot of time together as well. Both Alex and Camille, by the way, have been on almost every single Saturday call with their families, connecting with other families. And it's just been amazing, guys. And I just appreciate not only how you're showing up through COVID for your businesses, but also for your families. And Mike, I've gotten to spend time with Dylan, your son, and Wake surfed with him three times this year so far. And I got to see a young man who I just hope my son can grow up to be more like. And I'm just really appreciative of the leadership you've given to my son through Dylan. It's just uh, amazing. And I just appreciate the person that you are for your family. So thanks, guys. Amazing. That was beautiful, Thank Mike. Thank you. All right. Let's go one or two more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There you go. Don't shit on me. I'll fucking kick oh, your ass. Here come the stories, guys. <laughs> this one time in Bandcamp. <laughs> no, i just like to uh, uh, recognize that uh, Camille's been a tremendous driving force in our family business, and uh, it shows that uh, the driving force comes from, from this GoBundance uh, organization, and i just like to recognize that, and uh, thank him a lot for that. That's awesome. Love it. All right, anyone else? One more? Room B. Yeah, Where room are you at? B. <laughs> yeah, Aaron, go ahead. So a couple of things that you guys said that I really liked that um, was, Alex, you, you, you talked about how can we bring value and, you know, that, that's something that we need to be thinking about all the time, much less when something like this. But when there is times of trial, that's when it really makes a big difference. Um, Mike, I love that. Uh, um, what, what can we do to not lose the sense of urgery? Oh, yes. I can stand up. I'm embarrassed. Um, and then, uh, Camille, I just love that you're excited and you're like, let's fucking go get this. That's just, there's, that's just awesome. So. Thanks, guys. Very cool. Thank you. All right, guys. So we're going to continue the conversation this week around, you know, growing businesses. How do we start looking at this? Uh, how many of you were on the call with Cody Sanchez when she said, um, I believe it was Cody that said, that, that said, hey, if you, went to, if you went back to 2009, what was the play? Real estate. Real estate, right? She said, what's the play today? buying businesses, right? So, yeah, Nigel's going to be on, on a panel. Nigel, uh, Cody, and, and David are going to be on a, on a panel coming up this week talking about business acquisitions. But, guys, there's a, there's, there's a tremendous shift that's happening in the, in the business world today, especially in the services business. When you look at uh, the, the average age of people and, you know, the, the transition in tech-savvy people coming into to those industries, like there's going to be a massive opportunity, and we're going to explore that a little bit this week to see what does that look like. I think, um, I mean, the tribe is, is always, and you heard these guys say, right, they, they run amazing businesses. Uh, they all have personal real estate portfolios, right? They, they all still go into to real estate, but like David said, that number one leg for him was owning service-based businesses, right? Uh, in, in his case, brokerage. You know, then he started going into the investing side and then the debt side. So we believe that there's some huge opportunities that we want to be able to explore, and we're excited about that. So, 
But guys, let's give them a, a huge hand. You guys did an amazing job. Thank you. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.